Welcome to the Abundant Leap Podcast. I'm your host, Chance Welton. I'm a speaker, consultant, and thought leader here at Abundance.io. In this podcast, you'll discover your strengths, find turnkey business models, and get expert guidance for life's biggest financial moments, where we have trained and consulted over 35,000 entrepreneurs on how to start their first online business, and we've helped existing business owners start their second and third stream of income. You can learn more at Abundance.io, and of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at the Abundant Leap Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to another Abundance episode. I have a good friend of mine here, Nick Coates, work together in a lot of different areas. This guy is a freaking legend from starting at ClickBank back in, what would you say, 2014. 14. Um, and then have scaled multiple brands to seven, eight figures, created software to help them get there, breaking uh, when the iOS update came out. You said, we're going to create something to fix that. He has keeping brands at insane ROAS. So whether you're a beginner entrepreneur thinking about starting a business, whether you're seasoned running a six, seven, eight, nine figure business, you do not want to miss this episode with my good friend here, Nick Coates. Thank you, man. So great to be on today. Really appreciate. And what you guys have built uh, at Abundance is incredible. I just, I'm honored to be a part of the journey. So thank you so much. Well, I know you're going to share a lot of abundance here on yes, this sir. episode. Uh, I I learned something from you every time we speak, whether it's five minutes or two hours, you always have so much to share. So I'm excited to get into it. So uh, let's dive in and let's really start from the beginning and how you evolved uh, as a marketer and just your obsession for the game. And really that has led to your success on so many different levels, whether it's tech, whether it's creative uh, partnerships that you've structured the way that you hire, the way that you continue to evolve the industry. Um, we're definitely going to have to have you on for a second one. Yeah, but man. Uh, yeah, let's, to. let's get into it. Let's do it. Cool. Let's do it. Because also back yeah. then too, uh, you know, when Google ads was coming out, the Instagram was starting, Facebook yeah. ads. I mean, you could get it kind of right and, and hit a home run. Totally. And as competition grew, it, it's like, okay, now it's a little more challenging. And you'll see a lot of these people that have like, 10 million followers and they don't make anything from their accounts. They just can't figure it out. They don't have an offer That's that right. fits. They don't have the marketing dialed in. That's right. They're not staying consistent mm -hmm. on their message or posting daily. So there's like a 1% of their following even seeing what they're posting. Absolutely. And and the game's changing. That's why I'm so excited to have Nick Coates on the podcast today because you've really been there kind of from the beginning in yeah. this whole space yeah. that a lot of people are falling into now with with courses and building brands and influencers and, you know, now there's all these big life changing, uh, events and conferences and you really kind of see it all evolve. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today to really Thanks. be talking about the way that you've seen it evolve, what people can be doing now. If you're just starting a brand, you don't have the, the five grand a day to be spending on ads, like really talking about how to be smart kind of in that space. And then before we even hopped on this, I'm just mind blown at all the stuff you're working on now that <laughs> I'm, we're going to have a call with Abdul right after this and, and get yeah. the ball rolling in some of yeah. those areas. So I definitely want to talk about that as well. And that's really the whole reason for the Abundance Podcast is really be showing, you know, first time entrepreneurs how to be successful, how to listen to a lot of these people's um, stories on these shows to not make the expensive mistakes because we all have. We've made those million dollar mistakes. They're like, wow, yeah. I wish I would have avoided that. Totally. <laughs> so, totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've worked together multiple times on yeah. a lot of different fronts. You do incredible work and you're always Thank like you. the man behind the scene. 
Yeah. I think of you as like the Wizard of Oz. Like, I have like zero followers. Zero followers. You actually can't find him. I think, uh, what's your yeah. AOL messenger handle? Yeah, I, you know, it's just Nick Coates at AOL.com. That's how old school it is. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I mean, any of you listening to this, like you have seen his ads, you've seen the people that he promotes, like you have seen it. He's had, I don't know how many yeah, hundreds of millions of impressions you've had on your products and your people. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, we, we, uh, we've been running ads, you know, at seven figure a month kind of scale for almost a decade, basically. Wow. And that's, you know, whether it's for a brand that I was partnered in or brands that we you know, ran the ads for as a service, but you know, it's, it's been running ads at that volume for that long. Uh, and so th we've seen a lot of changes over the years for sure. Definitely. And for those of you that are in marketing or you're an influencer, you understand the amount of data and how many lessons this man has learned yeah. through that, because, you know, we've ran quite a few hours at that scale. And it's like when you're seeing thousands of emails coming in every day, you know, thousands of emails being opened or unopened, the ads that you're spending a yep. million dollars a month on that are converting that aren't converting. I mean, you mm -hmm. learn a lot. Yes, you do. And you see stuff that people that are spending 20 bucks a day just will never, ever experience and they can't. Yeah, they don't have the perspective. And right. They can't, you know, they just don't have that uh, data at their fingertips. Yeah. yeah. So we're in a very interesting time right now where we talk about the wild, wild west all the time when you could run any offer on Facebook and it would crush. Sure. There was like no compliance. Sure. Yeah. You didn't get shut down every day. <laughs> yeah. You didn't need 15 yeah. different Facebook accounts with 15 different credit cards from 15 different IP addresses to That's scale right. a brand. That's right. Um, what are you like, what are, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in the last year with scaling brands mm, in the last year? So I would say that, you know, uh, we, we've reached a level of sophistication in the market with the buyers in the market that a lot of the, uh, tricks or tactics or things like that don't really matter if you don't have a really great product or service. Um, you can't really fake it very much anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, and the people that are sort of faking it, uh, they're getting squeezed out. They yep. just can't, they can't sustain, they can't last and they can't battle against a brand. You know, for example, if I'm running your marketing and I, you know, I fancy myself or my, my business. We're pretty dang good at what we do. And you're, I'll back that up by the way. You yeah. guys are fucking awesome at <laughs> what you do. Thanks. I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, if we're running your, your ads and you're, you have an, an amazing product or service that delivers the result that you say you're going to deliver, we, you know, and then you take somebody else that's running ads. And even if they're a great marketer, I don't care. And it's not a great product or service that they're pushing the audience now will call it out, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to comment on those ads. They're going to, they're going to report those ads as, as, as spam or whatever it is, right? They're yep. going to do things that, that stack the odds against you from winning. Even if you are, have great market on the front end, you can't fake it anymore. No, nope. you, you know, it's just, it's, we've, we've, we've graduated beyond that point now in the market. A hundred percent. I mean, you got if you get a charge rack rates over 1%, Stripe, Visa, MasterCard, everyone's shutting you down. Mm -hmm. You got all these other things. You know, even a, a one bad review can really ruin your business. One you That's know, right. YouTube. So uh, I'm on point with you 100% there where, you know, we've been running our company since 2015 and we've yeah. had to be so on top of that yes. and making sure that you outserve the competition. 
mm-hmm. like your customers are your greatest feedback. If you're not constantly surveying them yep. and, and refining your product, you're just putting yourself in a bad place. hundred percent. The customer's always first. And the, you know, that that's been the case all along. Yes. And you know, I mean, my dad told me that, uh, I'm sure your dad told you that at one time or another, you know, the customer comes first yep. and the customer's always right. You know, you hear these sayings that are very old school, quote unquote, but now they're more important than ever, actually. Yes. And, uh, there was a time where people were taking advantage of people mm-hmm. and it's just, it's becoming harder and harder to do that now. Definitely. Yeah. And so I know, especially in our world, it, it seems like every day something is changing, you know, mm-hmm. Apple, you know, rolling out their update. That was a like, big, yeah. Screwed a lot of people. Hey, me too. By the way, difficult. my whole business was buying ads for people. Yes. Right? So um, that, that was a tough, that was a tough one. How did you guys evolve through that? Yeah. So I think, you know, number one, um, and this is important for anybody, no matter what phase they're at, like you're gonna, you're gonna get knocked down. It's not a matter of if it's when, you know, mm-hmm. you're gonna get dealt those blows in business. that was just like almost catastrophic or are catastrophic in certain instances. Right. And the one thing I've learned over the years and now I just don't even, it doesn't even phase me anymore. And including iOS actually didn't phase me because I had been through several other semi-apocalyptic ad updates where it was right. like, oh my gosh, this is, it, you know, uh, but the, the reality is I knew that I would figure it out mm-hmm. because I, that's what I do. And that's what we do as scrappy marketers. We will always figure it out. And, and so when that happened, you know, number one, you had to understand what the real problem was. And a lot of people didn't understand what the real problem was. The real problem was that the, the, these platforms are built, Facebook, Google, all of them, they're built on data and getting a massive amount of data back to them so that they can learn what to do next, right? It's pretty simple when you think about it that way. And so when you take this machine learning, you know, platform and you take away a big chunk of its data overnight, right? And it's a machine that's Basically, think about like a dog with a treat that's like, oh, good job. I get a treat, right? And all of a sudden, it's doing the same job every day. It's retrieving every day, but not getting a treat. Pretty soon, the dog's going to stop retrieving, right? Yep. So the same thing with the traffic pixel. It, it, it wasn't getting that data back to it on a daily basis. And over the course of three to four months, as everybody adopted that privacy update and said, I don't want to share my data, those traffic platforms were now no longer getting back that data to learn from. And that, that was problem number one. Mm-hmm. Problem number two was tracking and attribution, was uh, which ad did what for me? Because with the delay of attribution on the side, all of a sudden now, you don't know which ad is doing well. And you're shutting down ads because you think they're not doing well. And then three days later, you go back and look at them and you're like, that was at a five row ads. Why did we shut that? Mm-hmm. Well, that was delayed attribution, right? So those were the two big problems that update caused was a lack of data back to the platform and not clear data for the media buyers to make good decisions with, right? So those were the two problems we had to go solve as scrappy marketers. And most of us solved the which ads doing well problem pretty quick because there was software and tech out there that did that, right? right? Hyros. And many others have come along since, and we could name them all. But, um, you know, we went with Hyros uh, to solve that problem. And, and pretty quickly, within 60 days, now our media buyers weren't flying blind. So we solved that problem. 
but we didn't solve the problem of getting the data back to the traffic platform yet. But we knew what the problem was, so now it was just a matter of finding the solution. Right, you, you identify the problem, then you know where to go. Right? Exactly, exactly. And when you talked about, like, there was, how many people do you actually think were on the iOS, like, as far as your advertisers and your database? Are we talking 70%? Are we talking 80%? Like, what, yeah, what was of the, the mobile of the mobile conversions um, that, you know, all of our different brands were experiencing, the, the iOS data represented about 70% of their mobile over 30% was was Android and other devices. So yeah, it's on the, the mobile side. The yeah. majority of your buyers, essentially. Correct. And like where they go, can't find them. Yeah. And if you do even more data analysis, you'll probably see that those iOS buyers have higher average order values. They, they're actually better buyers on top of the fact they represent a lot of your buyers. They're, right. they're what I call power buyers over the other audience. Cool. Um. Yeah, so you're talking about like really big database is gone. You saw that next problem. Mm -hmm. And then what, I mean, I, like with this new correction that's happening, I get excited. People get scared. Mm -hmm. it, it forces us to become better at who we are. It is. On a lot of different levels. Every not, level. not just on business, but mentally, physically. Like mm -hmm. now I'm spending even more energy on keeping my mind clear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> being grounded. Yeah. Working out even harder because I'm like, okay, it's time to sharpen the axes again. Like getting back in and yeah 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 absolutely and i think you know um i love solving problems i just you know so it excites me when there's a new problem to solve and uh you know that was a big and and generally speaking the bigger problem we solve the more money we make exactly <laughs> right in life elon musk has said that Warren yep. buffett has said that yep. thinking go rich they all say the same thing exactly yep. so you know problems are are just amazing opportunities and my dad always taught me like in you know with um, uh, any, any situation where there's a lot of change, any chaos in chaos, there's always opportunity, yep. right? In change, there's always opportunity. So he really kind of taught me to embrace change at a very young age. Like that's when there's a chance to kind of rise above, yeah. you know, and wise man, those moments of change. So, uh, yeah. So with that, I, I knew that like, you know, we very quickly solved the attribution issue, uh, but we hadn't solved the getting the data back to the platform issue. So, we went to work on that and uh, I had some ideas on how to, you know, kind of piece it together. And so we did within about three, four more months after that, we had Frankenstein together our first version of what now today is our, our technology that we offer the market. But uh, uh, we knew that we had to number one, resolve the identity that was of the people that were hitting your website. And then we had to figure out how to get that person back into Facebook or Google. It's those two things, right? So um, fingerprinting technology already existed, like where you could understand the, the digital fingerprints of the, of the consumers or the, the prospects hitting your website. And, uh, so good news was that already existed. Uh, customer data platforms already existed, which yep. is kind of where you push all that data, uh, from and to. And then I just needed a database basically that had a bunch of data in it that I could match those digital fingerprints to. So that was kind of the three pieces that I identified that I knew that I needed to put together. And, um, and you know, flash forward, fast forward to now, we, we did it. We put it all together and it's working rather well for our brands. So rad. Yeah. I'm really excited to go down that rabbit hole yeah. and plugging that in because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of big marketers, big brands that have these massive databases mm -hmm. where maybe they just have an email mm -hmm. 
or they just have a phone number or they may have an email and a phone number if they're really good at getting that, sure. maybe a first name, right? And so to be able to go through the database, find out ideal buyers based on behaviors, I mean, that is something that I've that we've always tried to figure out. And I said, I don't even have the know-how to even yeah. get there. Yeah. And you've pieced that together to where even taking our database, you could go through that and connect a lot of the dots that we don't have, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, these these database companies existed too prior to any of this stuff happening. And in the B2B world, uh, this was already a, 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 I wouldn't say common practice, but it was already being done. Identity resolution of website visitors has been done in the B2B space for since before iOS hit. You know, they were doing that. Right. And those databases like Zoom Info, these big ones out there have existed for a very long time. And, you know, the, the, the thing about databases is that no two are created equal. So, you know, the data, you know, the database you're pulling from matters how much data it has and more importantly, how frequently it's updated because mm -hmm. right. right. old contact information doesn't do any of us any good. So, you know, having a, a fresh up-to-date gigantic database to pull from is, is very important. Definitely. Cause we've, we've bought databases before and you're like, when did this email come in? Is it from when the internet was yeah. created? Is this guy yeah. still alive? Like, yes. you know, what's happening? And and the way that your software works, it's constantly like updating those contacts as well, based on behaviors, based on they change their phone number, they change an email, they go to yep. log back into their Facebook. It can. That's right. Yep. All of that is constantly updated. It stores um, there. So a lot of people don't understand how Facebook works, but they, they uh, have a Facebook ID, if you will, to every um, user. Well, those IDs, they, they, uh, they wash them out every um, either 14 or 30 days. I'd have to ask my team. I'm not sure what the most frequent metric is, but they they scrub those and reissue a new ID for that Facebook on the advertising side of things. Every month? Every month. Wow. So you're losing your retargeting audiences. Every 30 days. Every 30 days, basically. Because we were talking about how the pixels are continuing to get worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. We were also talking about how ad costs are going through the fricking roof. Mm -hmm. And just like we were talking about earlier, like today is, will be the cheapest acquisition you have yes. today. That's right. Tomorrow will be more expensive. That's the next right. day will be more expensive. And we've seen these platforms mature. Back in the day, we we're using Facebook and cost per lead was quite low. Mm -hmm. Well, eventually I had to move off of Facebook because everybody else got there and figured it out. Moved to Instagram. And move to YouTube and now moving to TikTok. And that's what a lot of people are doing. But when you can really hone in on your expertise and yep. be able to have more tools and more yep. access, you can still be monetizing off those platforms that a lot of people have given up on. That's right. Because they, you know, they just, because they don't have the sophistication to continue to try to figure it out, you know, and they don't have the perspective and the budget. And, you know, we, when you're advertising right now, we advertise for like 30, 35 brands, I think it is, that we're advertising for. That's a lot of ad spend you're pumping. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of data you have access to. So when you make a change and you, in a strategy or, it's, or so the way you're doing something and it works for one and you see if it'll work for three, then will it work for 10? Then does it work for all of them, right? Yep. Then now you know in a statistically significant way that what you're doing, it works. Yeah, It's not just an anomaly. Where when you're a brand owner by yourself in the trenches battling to do this, you don't know. You don't yep. know what's going on. You don't know if it's just a bad day on, you know, on, on Facebook. And, you right. Know, you're, you're getting that, that Facebook tax of, of yeah. just a bad day. Yeah. Or you don't know if it's uh, uh, system system wide, if it's uh, or you specifically, it, it's your offer. 
and something's changed. And so what I see a lot of business owners do is they're very reactive to those platforms and what's happening on those platforms. And they're overly reactive and it costs them a lot of money because they just don't have the perspective. Right? right. So we don't, if it's bad day and we see it's a bad day times 35 brands, well, guess what? We're not going to change day. much. We're just going right. to ride it out, you know? But if it's a bad day for one brand and not for all the others, we're probably going to jump in and, you know, figure something right pretty quick. Yeah. Big time. So for somebody that is listening in and they're just starting off their brand yeah, and talk about kind of some ninja ways to go about acquiring traffic if they don't have that 5k a month to spend on ads. Mm -hmm. And then if they do, they don't have a massive budget, like what metrics do they need to be looking at to really decide, do I need to keep scaling this or do, do I, do I need to cut it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the easiest way is to start with, you know, a warm market where you're building that warm market for your, your, your own audience. Um, and then secondly would be joint venture type promotion. So other people that have audiences like yours, where you can engage them to, to get your product or service in front of their audience. Those are the two, in my opinion, scrappiest ways to go about it that don't require very much, if any money, actually, because you can engage the other people to promote your stuff in a performance basis, right? So that just, you only pay them when you make money. And some people call those affiliates or, or some people call those uh, brand ambassadors. It depends on the space that you're in, right? right but, right. Uh, and what product or service that you're offering. But um, that's a very effective way to grow your brand profitably prior to ever paying money to run. Yep. 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 And we actually paid a consultant a lot of money to help us really understand the different levels of JVs and how to do evergreen JVs and different types of partnerships, JVs is in joint ventures. And that was a massive revenue stream that we never even paid any attention to because we didn't fully understand it. Mm -hmm. We're like, well, why, someone has spent their life building their audience. Why would they want to sell my stuff to them? But like on a lot of those lists, those people haven't bought. And if they haven't bought from that person, they might buy from you. That's and then right. you can split the commission and it becomes a win-win-win for everybody because you're adding value to their list. Mm -hmm. They're getting paid a piece and then you're getting paid a piece. And then that lowers your risk because you're able to test it and when you go do a JV, start with a small list, right? If someone has 100,000 people on their email list, run it to like 15,000, mm -hmm. right? Don't burn the whole list. Fine tune it. Ask feedback from that list. What what was the disconnect? Why did you not like my product? Sure. Yada, 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 yada. Yeah. Get that data, fine tune it, and then start going. Because we always talk about getting that big affiliate deal, that big JV, the Agora Financial lists of the world. It's like, that's the hot girl at the dance. Everybody wants her. But like, if you ain't ready, you're going to ruin it forever. <laughs> That's right. And, and I would say, don't start there. You know, right. you started the conversation with like who to go after, what to do when you're starting out. And I think for me, the really important thing there is that you're, you're starting at the lower end of that totem pole, yes. not the top, because you only get one chance. You only get one chance. Yep. And so you want to put your best foot forward in that one chance that you have with that relationship. So. I, I always, you know, warm market first is, is best. Build your own audience, have your own irresistible offer. I mean, Alex Hormozzi, that guy's book is phenomenal. Like, you know, that the, just build an irresistible offer, something that people absolutely want, can't live without. They feel stupid if they say no, right? Yep. Build that offer, then deliver that to your warm audience, 
even if your warm audience is small, build an audience, right? D- through consistency. How do you build an audience? Consistency. That's yep. it. Just every day doing the same thing. It doesn't have to actually be daily, but just consistency is what matters. You know, you pick a frequency that you're going to do content and you stick to it for a long period of time. Yep. All those platforms are smart enough to uh, know consistency, basically, right? So they reward consistency. Big time. It doesn't matter the how many times a day and all this stuff. It just matters that you're consistent. Consistent. Same with organic and ad spend. So we noticed if a credit card hit its limit and shut down, it took a long time for that ad account to get back up to performing to where it was. Because mm-hmm. then we seemed like an illegitimate business because we couldn't pay that next $50 bang on yep. the credit card. That's right. Right. So paying attention to that, like so many people want to come in and, oh, I'm just going to start spending 500 bucks a day right out of the gate. It's like you're mm-hmm. blowing through all that money. You're not mm-hmm. letting your pixel like a- accumulate the data that it needs. Yep. And then, then you're going to pause it when you run out of money because you're waiting for sales to come in. Yeah. Like the platforms don't like that. Same with organic. When you're posting YouTube, if you post a video every single day for a year straight, YouTube, the platform will actually see you as an influencer and start pushing yourself out everybody else. Because think about how many people out there actually put out a video a day. Very few. Very few. Very few. Very few. So consistency is key. Um, and that's the thing, especially with organic right now and platforms like TikTok. I mean, I've seen brand new accounts. Uh, the first video I launched on my TikTok got 160,000 views. We had 280 it's signups into our free seven-day challenge. Yeah. yeah. Because the messaging was right. We had the right hashtags that were associated with our audience and our offer. Mm-hmm. And it crushed. Absolutely. Yep. And we it, made more of that than ads that had ran for oh yeah. a month. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's a very powerful platform. And you're right. You can really, um, and it's also forgiving in the sense of too, like even if your first video isn't 160,000 views, if your first video was 12 and your second one was 20, your third one could be 160. Like it, it's just a matter of kind of getting that formula right. And that's 160 people that had, have no idea who the hell you are. That's correct. That's you starting to build your Audience. audience. That's right. But you need to have that irresistible yes. offer for people. And people, a lot of times forget that piece. Like what if you had said, I'm going to try out this TikTok thing, right? And you had gone and done that video and you got 160,000 views, but you didn't have something to push them to. You had no call to action. You had no offer to give, right? You would have wasted that amazing moment yep. to capture that audience. Big so time. that's my other advice to new people is craft that irresistible offer first and always be pushing people to that irresistible offer and all the content that you're doing. hundred percent. Cause that's where you're going to get, you know, your first couple of customers, you're going to be able to spend a lot of time with them, learning about their experience, learning about how to get, you know, make it better before you get that viral video that brings you in 300 customers. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a very important, important point to make. And that's what we did with any of the brands that we build. It's like, there's 15, 20 people in there that for like, two months are just giving insane feedback on how to make it better. What did we do wrong? How, what, what, how else could we serve you? And we really got hyper-focused on that. Then we were able to create the irresistible offer out of that first like sample base. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the other thing that I would talk about with just the, the people that are starting up and how to have success is you got to work really hard. Everybody has this messaging that like, it's this lifestyle thing that you just, you know, you're on a beach on a laptop and you're just, you know, <laughs> crushing it. Well, guess what? You had to work your ass off to get onto that beach and be on that laptop, right? So I think 
I think it's really disservice to startup folks out there. You got to work really, really hard to make it, you know, and if you just work hard and you're consistent and you put it in every single day, it compounds the compounding effect, just like compounding money, you can compound time. And people don't understand that the average person I think works like three point something hours a day of the eight hour work day. Yep. You know? So if you actually just worked eight hours a day, like actually worked eight hours a day for every year that that person is working, you're working two years. Yes. Right. That the average person works, right. You're working two in 10 years, you've worked 20 years and they've only worked 10. You know? So like you see how the compounding effect really starts to add up three exit. You know, there's, I, I work a, I work a 10 hour work day every day and I take a one hour lunch break. I do that every day. And I've been doing that for a decade. So a lot of people ask like, how do you get to where you're at? How do you guess I worked really hard and I still work really hard, but I love what I do. So I'm kind of a freak that way. Yeah. I love, I love what I do and I love, I love this business. I love this field that we're in and, uh, and I'm passionate about it. So I, I just happen to be to where my passion is something that happens to also make me money. That was the other very important piece of the equation is you have to have an irresistible offer and then you have to be like absolutely love what you do. You do. You have to be so passionate about it. Yep. And that's where a lot of people get it wrong. They see a trending market and they're like, cool, I got a great offer. I'm just going to run with it. But then when you need to put in that 12 hour day, when you need to cancel a vacation to fix your business, when the iOS update comes up and like there went 70% of my customers. <laughs> If you don't have the love for the game, that's where people blow up. 100%. You got to love, you got to love the journey that you're on or you will wash out. It will happen, right? You, you're not going to be able to weather the storm when, if you're doing it for the money, because the money's not coming in. Right. In the storm. Right. <laughs> right. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. And yeah. you've seen that happen with a lot of brands. I mean, you're not yep. talking about your own experience. Like nope. we see people come and go all the time. All the time. All the time. And, and it's, uh. You know, there's various reasons why people fail, obviously, but the, you know, if they don't, if they don't love what they're doing, that's definitely up there on the list. Um, you know, not being financially responsible is up there on the list too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm, a lot of entrepreneurs come in and they're like, oh, I'm making six grand a month. I'm filthy rich. I'm going to go buy this thousand yep. dollar a month car that I got to pay a lease on. Yep. I'm going to move into a $4,000 a month, you know, that's apartment right. and just start blowing all this. I did it. Cause I remember when I started my first business in the online space, mm-hmm. I'd had five or six that had failed in the off- offline. So I said, I yep. need to figure out how to make this internet money. Yep. And met Abdul. He became one of my mentors and scaled my first marketing business to 10K per month. And I yep. thought I was filthy rich. I'd never seen money like that before. Oh, yeah. This is before inflation. This is before the high interest rates we're experiencing right now. Yep. And just started blowing money oh, left yeah. and right. Oh, yeah. Left and right. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand how to help my yep. money work for myself. And I had stayed at a plateau for a long time. Because I wasn't reinvesting that into my mindset. Yeah. I wasn't reinvesting that into my business. Yeah, I was hiring overseas VAs that were like three bucks an hour instead of finding real A player talent yep. in the States that you know would have made me a lot more money in, yes. <laughs> in the short term, right? We start making all these mistakes as we start growing our business. Mm-hmm. And you know now we have over 50,000 entrepreneurs on the platform that we've helped teach in the five different yes. areas. And that is one of the second or third videos um, in the mindset module is like, trust me, we've seen everybody from, you know, even David Meltzer's story, hundred million dollars gone overnight. Mm-hmm. Like you listen to those people talk about money. 
they just have a different understanding about it. And totally. be using every single dollar you're making needs to be working for you, whether that's bettering your health, bettering your business, like the fancy cars, the fancy houses, like after, after 24 to 48 hours, they're not even exciting anymore. And yeah, it doesn't, you, you ripped around town, you showed your friends. Now you're just kind of like, yeah, now this is a giant liability. Yeah. And, and by the way, I went through that phase myself. It was definitely, I learned every lesson in life, the hard wasn't head like that, you know, but, uh, but I, I, uh, I did it too. You know, I, I was in my early twenties. I was crushing it. I, I spent all the money on all the dumb things I had. I had a bunch of real estate. I was really into like buying properties and I had eight properties and 2008, nine crash happened and you know, I lost everything and, um, had to rebuild from nothing. And it was tough, man. It was a big, it was a big blow to my ego and my pride. Most men, we, we get our, our self-worth and our identity from our ability to make money and produce yeah. and produce, right? Like most, most men, that's where we get that from. And I had learned that that's not where I could, I didn't have any choice, but to find other things to, to get my self-worth and my identity from. So I chose to lean into being a father and a husband and, uh, you know, and really get my, my self-worth and my identity from those things. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most valuable things that ever happened to me. And and that wasn't that long ago, you know, 2009 was not that long ago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Like, and that's what we're talking about earlier when you have passion and really your drive and your why is what is going to push you through those tough times, then also keep you grounded in the good times. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a new father. I got a 15 month old son and it's been like the greatest thing that's ever happened to me because yes, it's more challenging, but he challenges me to be a better person every single day. He always will. Cause it's like, I'm going out and I'm be choosing to be away from you. What am I doing in that time when I'm choosing to be away from you? Yeah. It's like, am I serving people? Am I building my business? Am I having yep. high level conversations with amazing people like you to give value out to people that are listening into this on their way to work or on their way home yes. from work? Those are the things that now I have to focus on. And he's helped me realize that. And it just gets better the older they get for me, at least personally, I just love it. My son's 12 and Literally this morning, we were listening to an episode of Alex Ramosi, the game, as I was driving him to school, and we're having an intellectual conversation about what uh, is being discussed. And uh, yesterday, I took him up snowboarding, same thing. It was an extension of yesterday. We had watched a, listened to a couple of those episodes on the drive up and the drive back to the, to the ski hill. But at 12, you know, he's, he's doing these things. And it's just so fun to watch his brain and watch him ask questions. But it absolutely levels us up because that... Uh, there's a balance in being a business owner and being a father and being a husband mm -hmm. that many people talk about, actually. Um, I, I'm surprised at how few people actually talk about the balance. They all talk about the ways to crush it and make money and do all this stuff. But man, being a balanced version of all three of those roles that you play, all three of those hats that you wear as an entrepreneur is, is the greatest pursuit and it never ends, ever. Yeah. Um, I want you to elaborate on that more because earlier you talked about how you're putting in 10 hours a day, mm -hmm. Monday through Friday. Yep. And, and I know Saturdays and Sundays still that happens it's in some occasionally occasions. it's sacred, yeah. but yes, occasionally yes. it does. Yeah. So yeah. Talk more about that balance. I'm, I want to know, and I know there's yeah. a lot of young entrepreneurs out there, especially yeah. through COVID. I mean, a lot of babies showed up in the world. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of young entrepreneurs that are also young parents now that I think yep. we get a lot of value out of you sharing the yep. way that you manage your time. Absolutely. So I, every day I, uh, wake up, um, early, I'm an early riser, five thirty to six o'clock in the morning. Every morning I, uh, get my son up 
uh, to work out. That's a, obviously we all have different, you know, kids in different phases of our life, but, um, we do some exercise together. I cook him, I cook him, uh, breakfast. I, uh, he makes his lunch and then, uh, he's off to school and I'm off to work. Basically I take him to school and then I'm going to work for the day. Um, I break up my day a little bit differently. So my day I'm usually on, uh, all the way until 5 PM. You know, I'm kind of like pretty hard and fast at 5 PM. And then it's sacred family time, unless there's something very urgent that crops up uh, for the evening. But I, with my phone, I'm not with my, you know, I'm like, I'm present. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I cook my family dinner. I love to cook. So that's a way that I sort of decompress from my day. And I'm there and present with my family. And then uh, usually once they're uh, off to bed, if you will, are kind of winding down for the night and doing their own thing at the end of the evening. And that's when I jump back into my stuff for a couple hours usually. Yeah. And the mornings and nights, like you talk about being a morning hour or a night arc or lark, um, where that's when the world is more quiet mm-hmm. and you can actually get into deep work. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, was it Cal Newport wrote Deep Work? You I, read that book? I have not read that book. No. Uh-uh. It's fantastic. I mean, you're already living it, but he really talks about people explain time and money are your most valuable resources, but he argues that brain power is actually your most valuable resource. Because like you're saying, people work an eight-hour day, but how much of those hours are they actually productive? Three and a half. And he says, your brain is only capable of about three to four hours of difficult decision or high production work. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you're kind of moving in your secondary subconscious to just kind of go through the motions. Yep. And so we teach people at Abundance, when you're building your business while you're still going to work, either get up early and build it in two to three hours before you go to work, get up at that 4 a.m., that 5 a.m. when your brain is like its sharpest. Yeah. You're giving all that brain power to your destiny, to your business. Yep. Or if that's late night, like Abdul's a late night kind of guy. So he'll be trying to bounce ideas off me at eight, 10 o'clock at night once his kids are sleeping. I'm like, bro, you know my brain works in the morning. I'm the morning guy. <laughs> that's right. No, So it's, finding it's those good. sacred times, Yes. you know, after, the, after your son and wife go to bed, mm-hmm. then you probably have those two hours where you're like, oh my gosh, I can just sit here and... We do, you know, and the other thing I would say is that's, that's how I built my business too. When I was in corporate America and I was like looking to break out and start my company back in 2016, you know, I was still in uh, 14, I started digital marketing, but 16 is when I left my company, I still had my day job, you know, um, but that's how I built it to begin with. I would go, I would meet with the guys that we, I built my first company with. We would meet at Starbucks at 6am. We'd work from six to eight. Then I would go to my day job with these same guys that we work together. <laughs> then we would uh, go on our lunch break. We would work more, yep. go back to work, go home at five. You know, I'd do homework with the kids or bathe the kids or whatever. I'd, you know, uh, depending on the kid we're talking about and how old they were, but you know, do the kid, kid time thing, put them to bed. And then I would go to the garage and I'd work more. And so I built my business that way in the beginning. And I've never really changed to be honest with you. I still, I still have those same kind of work cycles, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you say, oh, I don't have enough time, there's not enough time in the day, you're actually taking time away from you. Like mm-hmm. when you work a full time job, you still go to the gym seven hours a week. You still do like 40 hours of miscellaneous work. You still have 25 hours left oh, yeah. in the week. Yeah. And people don't understand that. Yeah. Like, oh, well, I, I just, I go home and I watch, you know, just, just one show before I go to bed. Yeah. That's seven hours a week. 
You could have been building your business. Oh yeah, it's it, it's an excuse and it's bullshit to be quite honest with you. I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast or not, but it just did. For you can the say whatever the time. fuck you want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it, it is be it's a total bullshit excuse because if you say I don't have enough time, it's just that you don't care enough about whatever that is to do it. Hundred percent. That's it. You're just your priorities are are out of whack. That's right. For sure. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and. You know, people talk about happiness and how to have happiness every day. And people think it's the pursuit of it. And eventually you get to happiness or you get to that successful point in your business. But when you realize that there's no finish line, like there's no completion for, Mm -hmm. like you said, being a better father or being a better husband or being a better business owner or your health or whatever it is, there's never a finish line. It's the pursuit of attaining your next goal or your next milestone that actually makes you happy. 100%. Like how many times have you gotten to that goal and you're excited for a second and then all of a sudden you're like, well, now what? That dopamine drops. Yep. Right? And then I almost feel anxiety or like pressure in a weird way of, okay, now now what am I supposed to focus on? What's the next thing? And you've grown so many businesses and brands kind of through that. Can you talk more to that about how you set up your goal structures for yourself and also for companies? Well, I think, I think it's really simple actually. And, um, I'm, I'm on the board of, I don't know, half a dozen or so companies. And I, I own, you know, obviously my company and, um, I help countless entrepreneurs in the companies that I'm scaling. Cause guess what happens when we scale somebody, we, we break something, Yes, right? We always break something when we scale them. Right. So I've had to solve just about every other business problem, you know, under the sun when it comes to digital marketing, but also when it comes to operations to support, right? And um, a physical product company, supply chain, all these things, you name it. I've helped business owners probably solve it, right, over the years. Um, but I, I think the the thing that most kind of business owners don't do a good job of because they're they're down in the in the weeds and they have those blinders on, right? They can only see that tunnel vision of what they're dealing with right at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's to, to state it simply, it's the next most important problem next in their business. What's the next most important problem for you to solve? And having laser focus on the problem until it's solved, and popping your head up and, okay, now what's the next most important problem to solve and solving that problem next, right? If we solve your acquisition problem and you're scaling, great, you've solved your acquisition problem. Odds are you're going to have an operational problem and an ascension problem to solve. So we solve your, you know, so which of those two is most important? Well, it depends. Every business is unique. It depends on, on what's, what's happening and what's broken. So I think that every business owner out there, no matter what phase of the journey you're in, if you can develop one superpower, it's focusing on the next most important problem next. And the and business owners that master that, whether knowingly or unknowingly, are the ones that you see continually crushing, you know, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Yeah, that's huge because, and that's why if you can solve that problem that like you see something come up and if we procrastinate that problem, then you deal with it tomorrow. When you solve it, there's always going to be another problem. So the more that you procrastinate what needs to happen immediately, you can tend to just delay your success because there's always going to be that next thing. Like like you said, it's either acquisition. Once you figure that out, then usually it's systems or softwares that start breaking. Just operations. Operations. Mm-hmm. Then you got personnel, mm-hmm. right? You got people coming and going. You got turnover right there. Yep. 
you finally find an A player and get them dialed in. And then all of a sudden they find a, a different opportunity, right? So like these things keep, then you got a support issue. Now you got to start building up your support team because your acquisition team is so strong. And it's always this constant juggle of making sure that's right. that everything's being taken care of. So that's why we always go violently fast in any brand that we're building is because like the, the more we spend, the more problems we're going to have, the faster we can figure it out, yep. the quicker we can we can move on. That's right. And you people really need to understand that, like become obsessed with your product, become obsessed with your brand mm -hmm. and fucking go hard. That's right. So that you can figure out what your next problem is. And if you can get ahead of it, that's when you can actually grow a fast business and you see these brands come up yeah. out of freaking nowhere. Yep. And you're like, you go talk to the, the, to the core people of that team and ask them how many hours they put in in the last year to get that business where it's at. Yeah. These are all out massive blitz. That's right. That happen. And and those guys are working their faces off. Or girls. They're working their faces off, you know. And uh and it doesn't happen without that. That uh, you know, going back to what you said, you know, I see a lot of businesses when you talk about not focusing on the right problem next. If you haven't solved acquisition, by the way, like you don't have a business. Yes. Because so. people spend so much money, like I'm going to get a podcast going. Yeah, I'm going to get my business cards. I'm going to get all these banners made. I'm going to get my yep. website looking super cool. Yep, all this crap. Guess what? Like, doesn't matter. Where are your customers? Doesn't matter. How if, are you going to get them? If you can't find customers, none of that matters. And so, I love personally, and I believe you solve acquisition first, right? Then you solve ascension second. Then you solve operations. Can you break down Ascension for Third. the listeners just so yeah. that everyone's clear? Ascension is so, uh, and I mean to its simplest form, meaning acquisition. If I'm breaking loose a new offer, I don't care about upsells, downsells. I don't care about any. I don't care about email journey. I literally care nothing about all of those things. I just care, can I drive traffic to a sales page and people will click buy and buy it, right? Until I've solved that problem, I don't solve any other problem in the business because I want all of my team's creative horsepower and energy being directed towards that singularly most important problem in that business, right? Because we don't have a business yet if we don't solve that problem. None of that matters. If you were to pay my team to work on building out all that other crap for you, right? It would cost you six figures easily, right? To get all that done. And we don't even know if we can get customers in the door. So right. you just wasted all of that money. And that customer journey on the front end might change 10 times to get it to break loose. So everything that you built, that whole magnum opus does not matter at all. It was a complete waste, waste of time, of time yep. and money. And I made this mistake myself, Chance. I made this mistake so many times coming up in the very beginning where I had to have my upsells done and I had to have my emails done and I had to, and then I'd launch and wah, 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 you know, nothing, nothing would happen. Right. And then eventually I'd, I tweak it and I tweak it and I tweak it and finally I'd get something to break loose, but then everything that I built didn't matter. And I surprisingly and stupidly made that mistake multiple times before I learned it. But finally it stuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I was just that one influencer, it was just yeah. that one product. We'll yeah. we'll do it all again. Yeah. But you're so right because the the thing that people get wrong so many times in the upsell process is they have an upsell that's not congruent with their first product. That's right. That's right. Or they're trying to cross sell with another brand that makes no sense. Exactly. And so just like you said, run it, get that first offer. Just build a sales dialed. page and an order form. That's it. Or an opt-in page if you're, if you're going after lead gen, you know, just that's it. Yep. Don't do anything else and focus on getting people to take action on that one thing. Put all of your creative energy into that. And I don't care if you're a new brand or if you're an old brand and this is a new product launch, the same thing applies. Like 
you don't if you're trying to break it loose on cold traffic that i mean that 100 always the same thing applies and if you do have a list we always test new offers to an existing list of or course. a jv or whatever because ads are expensive and it's going to continue to get more expensive mm -hmm. so by doing these little tiny things can make or break yes your product and that you know um I've, I've helped several brands on the back end with the email piece too. And even there, we have a strategy. If we're going to test uh, a new offer and you have a big list and you're going to dial it in on that list, you want to segment that list into micro segments and you want to test variations of that offer because on a warm list, everything to a certain extent will convert. Correct. Right. So if you're going to really dial that in before you blast it out to your whole list, and obviously you have to reach statistical significance. So size does matter somewhat. Right. But you you want to chunk it out to where you have maybe three, four, five variations of that offer. See what messaging resonates best, the combination of subject line, calls to action, and your sales page. Figure out what works best, lock it in, change it up, and then blast it to your whole list. You'll make more money. Big time. Yeah. Big time. And so when you're testing a new product. Would you say you'd run it out to 10% of your list and then fine tune from there yeah. and then run it out? And again, because statistical significance matters. Right. So your size of your list matters here. So um, it would be the smallest size of the list possible to reach statistical significance. And what would you say would be statistical significance? Yeah. I personally like to have at least, if it's to my warm audience and it's to the same type of audience list, meaning it's a mix of opt-ins or buyers, or it's only opt-ins or it's only buyers, you want to control that segmentation so that it's same, same to everybody you send to. I want to have at least 200 people hit my, hit my sales page. And then, you know, your, your conversion rate from there. That's a good number to have. Cause I was thinking you'd want more than that, but 200 people I, can get a good feel for it. I can get a good feel. Now that isn't true statistical significance. I mean, people will argue a lot of people say you need 600 conversions before you reach statistical significance. I've found that you can get some pretty strong directional data. You'll usually have a very strong outlier, right? It's We're not talking 10, 20% difference. Right. You'll usually have one that's like, oh, damn, that's double. That's triple what all the rest were. Yep. And so that's why I'm saying I think that you can hit it a little bit with smaller segmentation, smaller audience size. That's very powerful. Guys, take notes on that. Like that is some like spending tens of millions of dollars to figure yeah. out how to do it right, how to do it wrong. We do the same thing on ads, by the way. We right. do the very same thing on ads. If you think you have a new hooker angle that you want to test to an to an offer, we'll we'll do a solid background color and a headline. And that's it. Same audience, same budget, and five different variations of that hook. Mm -hmm. And one of them will double, will double or triple the performance of the others. Now you know your hook, right? So then you take that hook and you carry that over to the sales page to have that congruence. So it's the same process every time, actually. Right. And you're doing that. And those of you that are, are not advanced marketers, he's split testing at every level, right? You see an ad that's going to take you to a sales page. You go through the sales page, whether you opt in, whether you buy or not. There's an email follow-up sequence from there. Mm -hmm. All of that is being split tested. Yep multiple different variables That's at right. every given point. And you'll get those emails that you always love to open and you always buy from them and you think, oh, they just wrote me an email. That thing has been tested probably That's right. 15 times, 15 that's different right. variations that's right. before it finally worked. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. So, so you guys that are you know building your brand or wanting to fine tune your, your, your platform, your brand, whatever it is, understand 
exactly what Nick just shared with us and start implementing that in your business, I guarantee you're going to see a lift. 100%. Yeah. ABT. I just always spoke, be testing. I just, I, I just spoke for you and guaranteed your stand. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's good. That's good. That's right. So we talked about beginning entrepreneurs or brands or influencers, how to start really leveraging and getting into a new audience and, and testing a new product. Now, for the listeners that, you know, have a substantial business that are doing multiple six figures, mm -hmm. multiple seven figures. I mean, this applies to eight, nine and, and 10 figure businesses sure. as well. Yeah. What advice do you have for them, especially with ad costs going up? Mm -hmm. What are some creative ways that you're helping your brand scale and keeping those healthy, those healthy yeah. ROAS numbers? Yeah, absolutely. So number one, we do, you know, conversion rate optimization on the customer journeys, like you mentioned at every level. So it's looking at the business holistically and identifying where you have holes uh, that are kind of underperformers. Because even if you're a brand that's crushing, you're going to have areas of your business that are weak comparatively to, uh, this is where having perspective really helps me to you know, is that I can tell where, you know, this rate is low or that rate is low when we're talking about ads or you know, click through from sales page to order form or order form conversion rate or, or email open rates or email click through rates or, you know, all of these metrics, I know what they should be to be successful. So we can usually easily diagnose like, okay, this is where they need some work. And again, it's the next most important problem next, right? right. Same thing. So we're just helping them identify what that next most important problem is. So for those brands out there that are looking at those things and you don't have the perspective of all of that data to dive into, number one, most, most big brands are not surprisingly doing continual uh, split testing on their customer journey. They're just not. They have something that's working and they're, they're, they're kind of trying to figure out how to fix things on the back end more so right. as opposed to continually testing that front end. For example, in your ads, if you're you know, if your ad, uh, let's say you have a really strong video ad, I'll just give you a very specific example. Let's say you have a really strong video ad in your business, really taking a look at those metrics in the video ad and saying, how could we make this better in a micro uh, point of view, meaning um, three second video views, right? Taking your three second video view rate up will ultimately, so testing different hooks into that video that might already have a strong, strong call to action increases your CTR decreases your cost per click, you're making more money, right? Uh, same thing on the sales page. Always be testing. Always be split testing. And, uh, you know, always be sending a, a certain percentage of your traffic to your control and then to your variations that you're doing. Um, but just don't, so you guys know, your control is your winner and you're always trying to beat the control. That's right. Right? So then that control is the best. You're running through three to five other variations. One of them beats that. Now you just overall fix your numbers through your entire funnel because now the top end, you've beat that control. Now you're going to continue trying to beat that control with your other variations. That's right. That's right. Now you, um, the, so that's something I don't see a lot of larger brands that are successful surprisingly doing. I don't see them doing a lot of that. Usually because it's, they feel like it's expensive to change. And if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So many people get stuck in, into that yeah, thing, yeah. which I know for us, you know, we, we only like to scale like on ClickFunnels so far and then we hard code it in HTML on landing pages because it just converts better and the speed's better and the load mm -hmm. speed and the control and everything is. So then for us to go through and do that, we do do it on 
some extent, I know we can always be better at that, but there's always just such a big chain of command to make a, a technical yeah. change, yeah. right? With, yeah. We need the copywriter to write it. We need to reshoot the ad. It needs to be edited. Then it needs to go back to ClickFunnels. It works there. Then it needs to be hard-coded and then going back yep. to the to the HTML. So I think, I mean, for us anyways, that's our, can be yeah. our bottleneck with split testing. And there's, there's, um, there's uh, split testing software that we, as a matter of fact, we did it for you guys for probably that was one of our engagements that we did for probably eight months in the modern millionaires brand was we did that, uh, with our split testing software. But, um, I would say that there's, there's definitely technology out there that can help speed that up, speed that up for you guys. Um, now that you're talking about, I remember we did that. Yeah. 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 And it was very successful. I think we almost two X you guys, uh, uh, click through rates on that. And that was like different one. color buttons, moving the headline a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, just these little things that you would never think yep. gives you massive a lift. lifts. Yeah, massive lifts. We we have one. Uh, we just had a win last week. I'll tell you on a supplement brand where we offered a free ebook. Okay, which is digital. There's no cost of delivery on this, uh, but only it was a one three six bottle buy but buy options right on on their sales page. And this was one of our first tests we ran for them. And we put the free ebook on only the three and six bottle options. And we took their average order value from $120 to $180. Wow. Right. So, and it was literally just like a little badge that we put on there and then a digital delivery of that ebook on the back end. So not very hard to do, transformative to their business. Absolutely transformative to their business. So, okay, that's very valuable. And I know that we're going to talk more about using some of your new softwares coming up as well, which we're going to drop a link that people can hit with mm -hmm. this to go yeah. fill yeah. out the application, kind of go through your entire process. Sure. But can you please talk about the ninja shit that you're doing now that blew my <laughs> fucking mind? And I think uh, yeah. you're the first, I think this will be the maybe the first podcast or show that you've actually talked about this. That's publicly. correct. I have not talked about it publicly at a, on a podcast yet. Uh, mostly because yes. we've been dialing it in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Coming um, to you first at Abundance.io, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, man. Uh, yeah. So we've been we've been doing this for a while now. We've got about forty, I think forty eight or fifty brands now on this technology. So it's it's been put through the paces and it's working very very well. Um, but it's uh, identity resolution software is essentially what it is. So we place a pixel on your website and we identify your anonymous website visitors that don't opt in. That's really put simply what we do. Then we take, it's what we do with that data though that matters, right? So uh, we pass that data into uh, those traffic platforms to give those pixels more data basically. So what happens is uh, you're just super fueling that machine learning platform with data and then you're letting the machine do what it does, which is get better at finding you the right customers to put your offer in front of. So our brands are seeing cheaper acquisition costs at the end of that's the ultimate metric everybody's right. after right. but um they're seeing cheaper acquisition costs as a result of having this technology installed um we have b2b brands that are leveraging it and they're actually contacting the the cold data specifically because we can give the data to the brand owner as well as first party data that they get to own forever it's theirs right so most brands and you can attest to this yours is probably no different convert maybe if they're amazing 5% of the visitors that land on their website to into being into their database, right? Whether it's an opt-in or a purchase, would yep. you say? Oh, for sure. That's we're like, generous. 
<laughs> yeah, that is generous because I mean, across the brands on average, we're looking at yeah, like three to four percent. Yeah, like once is really dialed. That offer's been running for six yep. months. We've done all the split test variations that you're talking about. Totally. That. And I've used other software when they land on it, it would you know give phone number, email, you know, personal address, all that stuff. But we found that it was like not accurate and we were paying a lot of money for that software mm -hmm. and it wasn't accurate. So why is yours accurate and why is it working so well when there are a lot of other companies out there that claim that they can pull the pixel data for all the visitors? Absolutely. So it's just that no two databases are created equal. So I would say that the database that I, that I acquired or purchased for this um, is not only uh, an amazing database with over 300 million contact records in it. So that in and of itself is great, but it's constantly being updated. Um, all those user behaviors are being updated. So uh, the quality of the database matters, that matters. Uh, and the technology that you're using and speed at which you resolve those identities matter when it comes to marketing, right? How fast you're getting that data back to the platform matters. Um, and so for us, uh, it, it's, um, we do have some brands, like I said, that are, are contacting the data directly and using it in that fashion. The vast majority of our brands though, are using it uh, as a way to super fuel their traffic pixels with more data and be able to more uh, retarget much larger retargeting audiences. But more importantly, and this is the kind of um, the overall lift to the business is that once that, that traffic platform is getting all that data, it goes after a better audience top of funnel for you. It puts your offer in front of the right person to begin with Wow, because it knows what to do. So powerful. And that increases your click-through rates and your engagement on your ads because now it's getting in front of the right people. Mm -hmm. And all of these platforms reward that with cheaper CPMs, cheaper right. cost per thousand impressions. Yep. Yeah. Because the platforms want to be pushing out content that people like. And that they interact with. Yep, exactly. And yeah. how do they do that? They like it. They follow it. They buy it. Mm -hmm. All those great things. And the other really amazing part about this is for a big company like the our database that we've ran for since 2015, you can be taking all of that data, be bouncing it off of your database. It'll be refining that. So the pixels that have already collected all this data, we can refine those pixels. They'll start performing better, essentially right out of the gate, if That's I heard right. you correct. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that you're always up to something good yeah. because yeah. you are obsessed with the process like we talked about earlier and you're yeah. so passionate about it yeah where anytime i talk to you you're on you're like five years ahead of everybody else <laughs> just, thanks man. i just so sick i'm just i'm just uh i love like i said i love what i do yeah I, i'm kind it of shows, obsessed man. about it yeah thank you i mean we're laughing and giggling yeah. about pixels yeah. right now <laughs> exactly <I'm, laughs> like we find joy in i'm that. super you know uh what's so funny is i was a terrible student i was not like academic at all same <laughs> and I just couldn't stand school, but I, you know, when I find something I'm passionate about, I kind of go all in. On. I've always been that way. And, uh, and this is just, it's my passion. So I love, I love helping business owners grow is truly what I love. Actually, that's, if, if you break it down to its simplest level, I love helping people win big that have an amazing product or amazing service like that. That really is what I've learned over the years is, is who I love to work with. Yep. And, and if they've got that, then I can help them get that in front of more people, which is creates more impact. And, and that's for me, one of the best ways I can have impact in this world is by helping those, those people get out there in a bigger way. That's huge, man. That is so important to understand because for years I was marketing for a lot of businesses that 
really I was not passionate about mm -hmm. in, in the law space and the dental space. And, you know, it was great money, but I wasn't passionate about it when it got around to transformation and, and putting on these events and, and helping over 50,000 people start businesses. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Like that's that. when I was yeah. like, yeah, whoa, this is what I was put on this planet to do. I love from day in and day out coaching people, you know, doing the podcast, doing these live events, helping yep. people transform in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow. Yep. That's what I was meant to do. And like you said, it just, you get, you have so much excitement and joy out of seeing that. Yeah. And then just the people you get to be around, oh, right? totally. around winners and around great products and great people. It's like, it just, it really builds an amazing group of people around you um, that you get to spend your time with. You know, it's like so many people hate going to work because they're forced to sit around people they don't want to be around. Yes. Right? And that's, that's what most right. people complain about, about going into a nine to five is the people that they're around. It's not even necessarily the, the work that they're doing. That's a fact. People leave people, not jobs. Yep. For the most part. For sure. And, and, you know, you, you. Uh, if, if you're surrounding yourself, I, I, I talk about this too. I went, when I was young, I started a construction company and you know, at the end of the day, I was pounding nails in a house. It's not that cool of a job, but I loved it because I was buddies with all the guys I was working with and we were playing jokes and pranks on each other all yep. day long. And we were screwing shooting each other with the nail gun, shooting <laughs> each other with nail guns. And you know, it was super fun. I had a blast, yeah. you know? And, and so it didn't matter that I was pounding nails in a house. I was right. having fun doing what I was doing because I was working with people I loved to be around, you know, and that always stuck with me. And I think it served me really well. I think company culture is, you know, again, it's, it's kind of cliche to talk about culture because everybody tries to talk about culture, but I'm a little bit different in culture because I believe your work culture is you yes. as the founder, as the owner, is a reflection of you. hundred percent. You can't manufacture it and you can't fake it. If you're an amazing human being, you're going to build an amazing company. If you're not, you're not. It's, it's, you're, it's that simple. You're not going to have a great culture. Like if you, if you yourself aren't focused on doing the right things in your life, you won't build a company with a bunch of people that are focused on doing the right things. Yep. If you, all you care about is money, guess what? Who's going to work for you? Only people that care about money. That's right. And guess what's going to happen when they get an offer that's more money? They're gone. That's right. So if you, your why has to be bigger and that why has to bleed into that company. That's why my why is to create impact and help as many entrepreneurs win as I can, right? And then I attract people to work for me that have that same why. Big time. And so they, I mean, we pay people well, but my, my people get offered more money a lot because people know that somebody that works for me is probably pretty damn good at what they do. For sure. Right? And they don't leave. You know what my churn is? I have no idea. Zero. Zero. Wow. I fired a couple of people, but I have never ever had a person quit my company we're we're pretty damn close to that as well yeah we have 150 employees and i think we've had it's mainly been people letting go mm -hmm. i don't like the word fire we just kind of like i think you you'd be better served somewhere else that's right you know yeah <laughs> but to that to that note of culture um we stopped doing events during covid and we noticed like the culture really kind of died out a bit we did a big retreat for our sales team in august where we had everybody come out to my cabin. We we're surfing behind the boat, going jet skiing, hike, like just having a blast. Those next two months, those guys had a their two biggest months they'd had in like over a year mm -hmm. from that one event of everybody yeah. getting together and having that camaraderie and that oh, culture. Yeah. And then uh, we did our leadership in September in Vancouver at a house on this private lake. And the amount of infrastructure and growth that happened after that, where 
all the different heads from different departments were all now working together because they had met in person. It was just exponential growth. Yeah. Like, oh, when we go do this retreat, we're gonna spend, you know, twenty-five grand, thirty grand to get everybody there and everybody fed and all this stuff. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of money to spend. But then like the output from that was like exponential. Oh yeah. There that's a huge return on investment. That the one I, I got a little trick I'll give you and your whole audience for culture building in a remote working environment. I'd love to hear it. We've got about fifty people working for us all remote. Um and uh we every Friday we do a call, all hands call. Um, and that call, we go round Robin. I lead the call every Friday, biggest win, biggest challenge, and a shout out for somebody on the team that went above and beyond for you that week. I like that. Right. So biggest win, biggest challenge also does not have to be work-related. It can be personal and oftentimes is personal. And what this allows us all to do is understand and connect with each other at a deeper level in digital working environment. Right. And it's, it's fun and it's it's funny and we got, and I mean, sometimes people are crying and laughing. You know, there's all series of emotions on this call, but it's authentic. It's not scripted. It's not, you know, it's not BS. It's just real human connection, which we miss a lot in the digital work environment. If I had to say what's the, the best thing I did when COVID hit was that call. And that call is almost single-handedly responsible for us having an incredible digital work culture. That is powerful. Very Thanks, powerful man. because we were always remote. Now we actually have an office in, in Vancouver where about 30 or 40 of the employees hang out and they're going out to dinners every week and doing some really cool stuff. And so we, we have a hybrid of both. Um, but I, I'm going to start implementing that. I'll, you can, I'll invite you to mine if you want. I would love to take and notes. You can and, just, yeah. you can, we do this regularly, by the way, and we'll have guests. On. And the other thing I did, which you can do too, I turned it into a recruiting tool. So meaning when I have three candidates that want to work for me and I have an open role to fill, I'll invite them to the Friday call as a spectator. Wow. And when that happens, um, it changes the conversation from them, from me pursuing them to them pursuing me to work for me because they've never been a part of something like that yeah. before. And it also gives me a chance to see how they interact, how they react, sorry, how they react to our team. Because if we're saying funny stuff or somebody, you know, we cuss, we, you know, we're, we are ourselves on this call, how they react and how they fit in culturally is very evident on this call. Yep. And you'll see, and how they react after the call and how bad they fight to work for us is very telling as to whether or not they will be a fit for our company. So we're also then further protecting our culture. And you're so smart in that way of using that one call to have like five different functions, essentially. Basically. Right? Because like if you're going to do something, figure out how to be creative about how do you get that to go to work for you? We record everything. Like we've created offers based off of recordings of trainings that I've done. That's incredible. That you yeah. just recycle and, and edit and take it from an hour Zoom call down to a 35-minute Zoom call. Boom. Yep. That's yep. a low-ticket training. I love that. You know? I love that. Man. And a way to to bring your people up and, and educate yeah. them as well. Absolutely. You know, because yeah. with our employees, we're always educating them on the products that they're helping, you know, to service or to to sell. And it just creates more trust, more brand trust, more awareness, more understanding. They can serve at a higher level mm -hmm. so that everybody is, you know, drinking the same Kool-Aid, right? That's it's like right. We're all on the same mission yep. um, to, to really help people find abundance in their lives. 100%. That's right. Well, Nick, that was incredible. I learned a ton. I know Thanks. that listeners at every level, if you're starting out as an entrepreneur, if you've just joined the Abundance platform, 
if you're a, a seasoned marketer or brand, there was a lot of information there. Uh, make sure you guys go back, re-listen to this, replay it, share it with your teams because, man, that was that was fantastic. So, Nick, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you, brother. Really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Well, we live in the same town, essentially. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm up in Cascade. We got to we got to go shed some powder together. For we sure. do, man. I always we always joke that we have to fly somewhere else to see each other. I know. We I see did... each other at conferences. And, yeah, and we never see each other here. So I know. We'll well, make it happen. We're making it happen now. All right, absolutely. So, thanks, brother. I appreciate thank you, you being man. here. Thank you.